You're listening to the cycling podcast Femina. Well, hello and welcome to the cycling podcast Feminan. Uh, I'm joined by, my name's Rose Manley, I should say. I'm joined by Denny Gray of the British Continental. And Denny, we're continuing our Tour de Wandsworth, we could call it, couldn't we? Because we've done Wandsworth Old Town, we've done Tooting. Uh, and now here we are in Clapham Junction, which was, is for both of us actually the, uh, an old neck of the woods, isn't it? We are indeed, yeah. It's, it's kind of turning into a little bit of a pub crawl, isn't it? <laughs> a very <laughs> slow, slow meandering, pub crawl. yeah. <laughs> low on alcohol type pub crawl, but nonetheless, we do find ourselves in a pub once again. We do, which will explain, you know, some of the hubbub. We're quite near the kitchen as well, so if you know there are people drop plates and cutlery, that is what you uh, uh, might find. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mentioned the uh, Tour de Wandsworth that we're doing, and we speculated maybe the Tour de France might visit. <laughs> Tooting, and uh, we've got a bit more speculation about the Tour de France mm. fam for next year uh, that will uh, be near the end of the show. We're going to be kind of talking about what we've heard on the grapevine might be coming up. Of course, the the route hasn't been announced uh, until next week, uh, but we'll be talking about that. We'll be hearing from Abby Smith, who uh, has just signed to join Team DSM next year. She's a a fantastic uh, British talent. I know you've spoken to her, Denny, uh, before. Great talker um, as well. Um, and uh, so we've got a great listen uh, coming up with an interview with her. Uh, and we've got a bit of racing to recap. Shall I get on with it, in fact? Let's do it. Let's, let's talk about racing. Let's talk about racing. Um, so first off, uh, the European Championships, which we recorded just before. I think we might have even recorded the day of the time trial. Wow. And we're kind of quietly, because we spoke to uh, Antonia Niedermeyer, didn't we, there, and quietly hoping that um, we would get the podcast out before the time trial, which was expected to do very well in, which she did. Uh, but in the road race uh, in the European Championships, it was a typical Dutch performance, which saw Misha Bredewald, uh take the title, snatched away from her teammate, both uh, in nationality and in trade team as well, Lorena Vibus. Uh, and in fact, it was an SD Works 1-2-3, which we've got used to this year haven't we uh, with Lottie Kopecky taking third what did you make of that um, because perhaps not a totally jubilant not all members of the Dutch team were perhaps <laughs> so jubilant at the finish even though Misha Bredewald won there you thought Denny well I mean it, you, it, it seemed what... apparent during the race that the Dutch team were riding for Lorena Vibus and Demi Vollering Demi Vollering kind of having the wild card uh, to play uh, maybe. hasn't Demi Vollering got enough jerseys come on she had enough but Lorena Vibus obviously won it last year and uh, it was the kind of finish that suited her, and um, and it was they they were the ones who were keeping their powder dry throughout the race. Uh, in fact, Misha Bredewald was one of the Dutch riders chasing down attacks earlier on in the race. So yeah, it did come a come as a bit of a surprise. She kind of snuck away nine ten kilometres to go, and the the chasing group did their typical thing of kind of looking at each other, kind of half-marking Vibus and Vollering and uh, none of them really wanting to commit to the chase and Bredewald kind of made the most of it and, and got away. In fact, the only time I felt like it was going to genuinely uh, come back was when Vollering was leading uh, Vibus up the Calder Vam at the end. But uh, yeah, great win for Bredewald and uh, only 23. And of course, she won Grand Prix de Plouet recently. So um, she's having a, a fine season. Yeah, it might actually start giving SD Works a bit of a selection headache because, as you say, you know, she yeah. won Plouet. Uh, obviously, an incredibly fast finisher, very, very handy uh, rider. Uh, so we'll see how that. I mean, we. I think every year, actually, I say, oh, this might give SD Works a <laughs> selection headache. And they managed to come through their selection headache with winning absolutely everything. Yeah, they seem to have a canny way of kind of making it work for all the riders don't they and they've got such strength and depth that uh, they're all going to bound to pick up wins it feel it seems uh, throughout the season but we'll we'll see how it plays out next year won't we yeah well we will but um we should say there wasn't an sd works or a dutch winner at the gravel world championships and normally uh we wouldn't wouldn't touch gravel <laughs> would we <laughs> not in a bad way but you know i'm aware that there's a thriving american gravel scene which we never talk about um but we kind of on the podcast we kind of we had to mention this the gravel world championships because it was won by cashinevia doma who took her first ever rainbow jersey and you know 
I don't think it's any secret. We love a Cashinivia Doma uh, win on the podcast. If Orla was here, I feel sure she'd be weeping. <laughs> she'd be, give me your best. Come on, while Orla's not here, Denny, you have to give me your best weeping. Oh, I can't believe it. <laughs> That's the- <laughs> Well, there you go, Orla. Um, so, yeah, we do love um, a win for her. And, and it's, I think, even more impressive, uh, her win, because um, she beat off the likes of Sylvia Persico and Demi Vollering, which mm. is, is pretty rare to see mm. Demi Vollering beaten on any uh, terrain. Um, with 25 kilometres to go, Cashinivia Doma got a gap on Vollering, which never closed, and she won by some 33 seconds uh, in the end. I mean, what can Cashinivia Doma take from this, Denny? Obviously, gravel, it's slightly different it's slightly less the team element slightly comes into it slightly less doesn't it um but i mean she can be incredible take a huge boost from this i imagine she will yeah no it's, ma- it's massive for cassie neviodome i think um obviously that's her first win uh since 2019 when she won uh i think it's the fourth stage of the women's tour wasn't it uh came second overall and uh she's been waiting for that big win ever since i mean we've Obviously, talked her up throughout the season. She had a great Tour de France fam, and it um, seems like madness that it's been that four years. I mean, it seems like madness. It does, doesn't it? it? Yeah, yeah. And um, she's obviously had a fantastic season, but to cap it off with that win, I think, is a, a really big moment for her. I think the interesting thing for her is that uh, we, she seems to have kind of adjusted slightly to becoming a GC rider when we when we were at the Tour Fam she talked about kind of working on her time trialling uh, obviously got on the podium after a great time trialling performance and I guess we I think the last episode we were talking about whether she could become the next contender to Demi Vollering in the in the big Grand Tours but so it'd be interesting to see kind of how she plays it now because I, I noticed now she's off uh, in America doing uh, a, a gravel round there the Big Sugar Classic so will that will she change directory I don't know uh, trajectory even uh, next next year we'll have to wait and see but yeah really really great news for her and she was, of course was a big favourite for the world this year the road race mm-hmm. that is uh, but then had to kind of duck out for a, because of a respiratory infection so uh, yeah big big moment I'm sure Ola, Ola would be very happy <laughs> Well, yeah, I'm sure she would. But, um, I mean, it is kind of the, the way that Cash and Evie Doma won it. Not that we had live footage, no. which is a, a complaint that we might come up a couple of times. Um, we didn't get live coverage of the Gravel World Championships for the women. Uh, apparently, there was no obligation that there should be uh, coverage, which just seems like madness that, you know, that there's no, what, no bright spark somewhere thinking that that might be an opportunity anyway, even if it's not totally compulsory and it's a UCI owned and organised event but there'll be more moaning to come uh, about (laughs) live coverage um, to be sure but um, the way Cash and Evidoma did it I mean she basically rode Demi Vollering off her Mm, wheel mm. um, and uh, I I mean I did say that the team element does uh, is slightly less involved which is obviously really good for Cash and Evidoma she's a very outstanding individual rider uh, but you know, normally she's going up against Demi Vollering plus SD Works, or you know Demi Vollering plus the Dutch team, um, and it's just uh, uh, when they when they get to play the team tactics, it's impossible to get around them. But I mean, a really impressive showing, I think. Yeah, I mean, uh, just to, I mean, uh, sorry to carry on the moan, but I mean, <laughs> the TV coverage was a real disappointment, wasn't it? Because. The race had all the ingredients of being a really great showcase for women's cycling. It mm. was positioned neatly at the end of the year, and for a while it looked like we might have a kind of cast of all the talents. We had uh, Pauline uh, Fenron Prevot was going to race originally, but then couldn't because of uh, COVID, so she was coming over from obviously the mountain bike scene. Annemiek van Bluten was going to ride, but then of course she had to pull out because of a foot injury. Uh, but there were some really big names there. I mean, we've mentioned Nivia Doma and um, Persico and Vollering, but Lorena Vivas was there too. Um, and uh, I know that uh, Daniel and Lionel were waxing lyrical about the great setting uh, uh, the race had. Um, of course, they, they had the luxury of watching the men's race. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, so it just seemed like a real missed opportunity that the UCI didn't insist on TV coverage. There was a blame game going on in the media. Uh, mm. One source told Velo that uh, 
that the, the, the local organiser had asked UCI to fund the coverage and the UCI had said no and then the UCI the next day in their statement seemed to blame the local organiser and then kind of during the women's race said oh next year it's going to, the coverage is going to be mandatory but it was a, a complete mess and for an organisation that kind of says that it's uh, going to promote equality in the sport mm. it, it felt like a massive own goal particularly because gravel is such an emergent uh, discipline you know you can kind of understand the historical inequalities in road racing but this is a, a clean slate a chance to you know start on equal footing and from kind of you know the second year they've they've scored a massive own goal i mean that, i mean yeah that, i mean that's exactly right isn't it that 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 it is a, a UCI organised uh, event and obviously we didn't have, uh, we'll come on to talking about the Tour Guangxi a bit later on, but that's obviously, that, that despite being a world tour and it's mandatory to have uh, live coverage there, they didn't have that either. Uh, despite being perfectly capable of doing it because they did it for the men's every single day for at least 90 minutes. Um, but it makes it worse somehow that, you know, obviously it's a UCI uh, event. Um, it's in its very early stages, as you say, and then they haven't... I, I, don't, I, I just find it, I find it just still so shocking that no one's thought that it might... That, as if, like, this was going to happen. There was going to be no coverage and no one would... They must have realised that there was going to be an uproar about it, surely. I mean, this kind of thing has happened enough times and people are, enough, are frustrated by it enough. And to have such a fantastic win, to have huge names and uh, it to be such a lively race and to not get to see it is, is really disappointing. Yeah, massive disappointment. Um, I mean, I don't know what else there is to say. I mean, Abby Smith, there was a lot of uh, kind of vocal uh, disappointment and anger on social media. Abby Smith was one of the riders that uh, was uh, very... Uh, Put out, mm. uh, to put it mildly, by uh, by the uh, lack of coverage. But yeah, I mean, hopefully the UCI gets the message and um, and and sorts it out for next year. I mean, you know, I know there are always kind of the, some teething issues with new events, but to have it for the men's and not yeah, the women's just, exactly. yeah. just didn't didn't sit well. No, no, it doesn't make any any sense um, at all. Now, well, we'll move on from uh, from gravel. Well, move, move on from moaning <laughs> briefly, <laughs> and move on from gravel to another unfamiliar territory, and that is the track. I did want to just quickly um, highlight uh, that Vittoria Busi uh, became the first woman to cover over fifty kilometres in her hour record uh, attempt. I say attempt; she actually got the hour record. Um, the Italian set the benchmark of 50.267 kilometres to take back the hour record from Ellen van Dijk. And, but Busi has held that record uh, on two occasions previously. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm pleased to see it because I think when Ellen van Dijk made her record uh, last year, it was kind of, people felt maybe it was, she, you know, Ellen van Dijk is such a famously powerful rider um, that it would be kind of put out of reach and that might mean that the hour record is goes quiet for a while but it's you know i'm glad to see that it's still uh, a thriving um discipline um but no I'm, I'm glad you glad you pointed it out i mean because it it felt like it passed a lot of people by actually i mean the the hour record attempts have had a lot of hype and media coverage and this one didn't really seem to get the attention it deserved um as you say a massive uh kind of uh, marker in the hour record um and a kilometer over a kilometer ahead of uh, van dyke's mark so mm. really impressive um I, I understand that she crowdfunded her attempt and kind of broke her crowdfunding record and she's like and she was kind of part of the team behind kind of the aerodynamic planning for the effort and she's a, she's got a phd in pure mathematics yeah like, I, think, in, I think that's why it kind of passed people by though because she's not you know a big name in no. road cycling she doesn't have a trade team um, but I mean, she's like the, the most phenomenal kind of enthusiast. Almost, yeah, what a great story! You know, she's yeah. almost like uh, well, I should compare it to the men's, but you know, kind of she she had as much involvement as a as a Dan Bigham or, or somebody like that in in terms of kind of thinking about the uh, the attempt. And it was so it was as much a great athletic performance as a kind of great personal achievement. Mm. And uh, kind of yeah, so. I think like hats off to her, and um, it'd be interesting to see what happens next with it. We you know can it's that seems like a 
that really does seem like a benchmark that's going to be difficult I know, to but then we said that last time and people were saying, you know, is it possible for, you know, a woman to go further than 50 kilometres when Ellen Van Dyke set her record last time? And, and obviously it is, so it's kind of... Uh, although we do kind of rely on Victoria Boosie because she just could, this is her thing. Um, we need someone else to come in and do it, don't we? And then for her to take it back again. Well, yeah. that's, that's kind of what needs to happen uh, next. But we will go on to the road racing uh, at last. Um, and we kick off that with the Tour of Chongming Island. I know everyone was very excited about that. We really bigged it up last, uh, <laughs> last episode, didn't we, Denny? Um, and that was the final stage race of the Women's World Tour calendar. Mylene Dezuta took the first stage uh, in almost accidental fashion, it should be said, uh, crossing the line first while leading out Saratazit teammate Martina Fidanza. In the second stage, Olga Zablinskaya of... Denny's favourite team, the Tashkent City <laughs> team, uh, which, you know, last uh, month we did take a little look at the Tashkent uh, uh, City team, didn't we? And they're it kind is. of... It is. They're, they're in line to uh, get, get a kind of top two placing in the, in the UCI rankings, which will give them wild cards to World Tour events next year, as it stands. Um, yeah, so we did have a look at them. Anyway, I interrupted you, Rose. Carry on no, about I know, what you were I just, about I thought I just had to flag that up. Olga Zabinskaya um, tried to upset the bunch sprint uh, with her solo attack, but she was brought back in in the last kilometres. This time, Hannah Serak of the Leaning Star Ladies team overcame Fidanza and the likes of Chiara Consoni to take the win and the GC lead. Then in the final stage, with several opportunities to take bonus seconds, uh, another flat as a pancake stage, it must be said. Both the stage win and the overall win were still up for grabs. Chiara Consoni and stage one winner Dezuta went toe-to-toe at the intermediate sprints, but by the finish line, the Dutch woman could not contend. With a long sprint, Consoni took victory, her first since the Giordone, actually, which wow. sort of surprised me because I thought she'd had a very strong year, but um, she took the overall GC win by what was, in the end, a resounding nine seconds. Dezuta took second, and Daria Pikulik took third more from Daria Pukalik right now because we're going to stay in China for the very final race of the Women's World Tour this season and that was the one day tour of Guangxi and the race finished you guessed any how the race finished tell me Rose it finished with a bunch sprint (laughs) (laughs) would you believe it Daria Pikalik took the win there ahead of Chiara Consoni and Irish rider Mia Griffin that means uh, that Daria Pikalik actually for the first time ever not that the Women's World Tour has been going for that many years uh, won the first stay well the first race and the last race of the Women's uh, World Tour because she won the Santos Tour Down Under Stage 1 and obviously finished off uh, in Guangxi which is a nice little nice little statistic we got in touch with Daria and she had this to say yeah that, that's a nice feeling yeah and also like my first podium on GC and also the the win in the last race of the season and the first one maybe before the season I was not expecting that but I think I choose the perfect team for me everyone believe in me so yeah I'm really really exciting for the next season also exciting for off season but more like I, I don't have enough of the bike I feel like okay I just need to relax I just need to take off the bike for a little bit and then come back to work I am so motivated for the next season really like I can't wait confidence starts with loving who you are and when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside you naturally radiate confidence from the inside give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven mega moisture duo this ultra hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A malibu.com, code GLOW. Well, it is transfer season, isn't it? And one of the transfers that caught our eye uh, was that of Abby Smith, who 
only 21, a uh, young rider uh, who's moving from EF Education, TIBCO SVB, uh, to Team DSM Fermanick. Uh, let's hear from her now. Well, Abby, first of all, congratulations on your move to DSM. How does it feel going to a, a team like that, that that's got such a kind of legacy and history in cycling? So excited. I mean, had such a nice introduction, let's say, into the World Tour. And now this is just a different level now in terms of kind of I'm going towards something which is, yes, so has such a big legacy and has been working for so many years now and functioning the way it does and I'm I'm just so excited to to be making that step now you know how different really are the teams in terms of their kind of attitude I mean is it do different pro cyclists have very different lives depending on which team they're at or is it all pretty much the same the teams are quite different let's say for going from EF to DSM but in both senses I think I'm going to enjoy both of them one of which as I say was a really nice introduction had a bit more you know I could have a bit less pressure let's say I'm enjo- I'm going to enjoy having the pressure at DSM but um, yeah they I think they're going to work in very different ways but as I say it's, it's no bad thing and you know I'm going in you know ready to learn and I, I want to learn as much as I can so that's really why I've gone there so I can develop as a rider because um, it yeah, feels, feels like I've been here for quite a while but I've, I've still got so much to learn and there's so much time still so really utilise their resources. I mean you, you say you know you've been around a while but actually I mean you haven't been <laughs> and also this year you know you you were off your bike quite a bit I mean tell us a bit about that and the kind of the trials of, of that. I've had an interesting year let's say <laughs> started well and then um, yeah I got I got COVID first in end of January um, which I know personally that affects me quite a lot in terms of I have to spend a long time off the bike to recover from that and then you know just just about recovered from that ready to go to the classics and then um, I did a couple hard training rides and my knee started to hurt and I was I was wondering what's going on I I, I can't walk I, I don't know why you know after the ride and then I yeah looked at my cleats and one of them was completely loose um, and that had been you know moving around under my foot and that had twisted the other knee and sprained a ligament <laughs> so that was that really and with ligaments it's almost worse than breaky bone because you don't know when it's going to heal and there could, it could take a lot longer um once it's healed even just to make sure it's still okay so we kept going to the specialist asking how how long am I off for and he's like I have no idea I'm really sorry yeah that was 10 weeks in the end in the grand scheme of things it's not a not a very long time but when it's across April May June it feels forever was it also harder just because of how it seems so innocuous just to have like a loose cleat you know does that make it kind of hard whereas if you have a big crash obviously crashes are not good but it is it kind of easier to process something like that yeah it was it was so strange because it wasn't a crash with a crash you almost expect to stand up and think oh what's gonna hurt or you know sit up and think which which part of me is is gonna need some recovery time but yeah when it's out on a training ride you really You'd hope and wouldn't expect anything. So bad luck, probably. And well, not not really my own fault, because I'm sure I tightened them. But they clearly they clearly came loose at some point. What do you do? How do you fill your time when you've got kind of 10 weeks off? You know, obviously your day job is being a cyclist. So if you're not kind of training, then what, you know, what? how do you fill your time? A lot of swimming. <laughs> the triathlon background, which, well, the, the reason I stopped triathlon was because I didn't like the swimming. However, it does mean I can swim properly and I can, I'd, I'd spent a long, long time in the pool, kind of four or five times a week for quite a long time. I, I couldn't use my legs either. So it was, it was quite boring, but got the job done and kept my cardio up quite well. So it wasn't too bad. Uh, I, <laughs> I needed to quite a lot of patience and mental strength to get me through those sessions, but I'm, I'm glad I did. And it's a useful tool to have if I ever need to come back to swimming. Yeah, also a lot of painting and time with friends and family as well. It was, I did watch as much racing as I could, but there came a point I couldn't watch anymore. I just, I really, I didn't want to see it because I wanted to be back there. So that was a hard part as well with so much good racing on at that time of year. As a racer, can you, do, you know, what are you learning, what are you gathering from when you're watching a, a bike race? It's all you almost learn more <laughs> in a strange way, maybe not more, but in a different way you learn because 
sometimes when you're in the peloton, either you've already done your job and you're out the back or you're just out the back and you don't see what's going on at the front. And on the TV, obviously, you can see what's going on at the front, see what's going on, say, at the end of a sprint finish, which I don't often get to see. (laughs) So, yeah, in that sense, you get to learn a lot and how the tactics play out and also listening to the commentators because their knowledge is also, you know, really really valuable and really high so listening and learning is is a lot to do with it and you mentioned that there briefly that you know you're doing your painting is that one of your paintings behind you on, on the yeah <laughs> I can say that you know but as it's a podcast behind you know behind Abbey is this lovely um landscape of the Yorkshire Dales um and uh but I mean that's a fantastic painting what do you get out of painting is it just like a relaxation thing or definitely relaxation it's kind of what you know some riders like to bake or like to go out and do different activities and that's kind of my thing is to go and paint and sit down and just not think about bikes really which is you know as much as I love cycling sometimes you need a break so yeah I've been doing an adjacent one for the other wall actually this off season so um yeah, that's that's a big project, which has been quite nice. Yeah, just it just completely takes my mind off things, which is again with an injury exactly what you need. And also just because cycling is so I don't know stimulating and there's so much adrenaline, so much going on, doing something where you of course I'm thinking a lot, but there's no stress and there's no nothing. I just sit there and listen to a podcast and just completely relax, which is the main reason for it. Are you one of those? cyclist who kind of needs that sort of out you know he gets this there's always there's always some riders that are kind of very intensely all about the cycling but are you someone that kind of to be a better rider you need to have that outlet elsewhere creative outlet and artistic outlet definitely someone who during the race season is very focused on the cycling but as as much as you know, when you your body needs a break in October or whenever it is during the season, when when you've just completely cooked at that point, I think is when particularly I need to do something else and I need to have some other stimulus. Again, with the academic side, I'd love to do studying or go to uni at some point, but at the moment I want to focus fully on cycling and have painting as kind of a hobby still on the side, just to keep me going with something uncycling related because cycling really does take up a lot of your life which which is what we signed up for it's is what we love and what we enjoy but yeah at the same time you need you need a little bit of something else would you do art at university if you were no um i had that dilemma at a levels i had to choose between art and pe because both took so much time um and yeah i chose pe in the end for for obvious reasons as well but um I do biomedical sciences or something to do with I don't know physiology or I, I like how the body relates to what I'm doing now for example so how the systems work how how different things function in the body so perhaps something along those lines but not yet decided on anything yet I mean being a professional psych is a great opportunity just to do it for you know as long as you can isn't it and you know you can always go back and study whenever I think Pfeiffer George is Pfeiffer Georgie an artist as well. She is, funnily enough. Yeah, yeah. I thought I thought that because I, I know obviously you're you're yeah. going to be joining up with Pfeiffer at DSM Battle of the Artists. Um, <laughs> I don't know what her style is or anything. It's fairly similar. It's obviously everybody's individual, I know, but it's fairly similar. <laughs> it's quite a realistic drawings. I think is is hers, but absolutely incredible. So maybe we could do a collab or something. I don't. Know. I'd like that. Put your art up there. But yeah. I, mean, I mean, how much you, how, how well do you know um, Pfeiffer, obviously joining her at DSM uh, next season? And, you know, how, where do you see your role at the team for next season? What are you hope to get out of it? I don't know Pfeiffer that well because just the way that our years are spread, she's two years above me. So I never got to do youth or junior, uh, anything kind of with her on a team. Obviously spoken together around nationals and worlds and Euros back in September. So really excited and same with Becky Story and Josie as well <laughs> kind of know them but would like to know them much better of course my I'm so excited for the opportunity because I'm still learning what kind of rider I am trying to find where I'm where I'm most useful where my assets are best best applied so obviously the team will will know that from from numbers from watching me race already but I'll be 
kind of a useful engine, let's say, in both the classics and potentially in some of the hillier stage races as well. I'd like to call myself your average Joe, really. I'm just all right at everything. <laughs> I've got no strength. I'm just all right at everything. People say they're an all-rounder, the poster to an average Joe, Eddie, but... <laughs> I'm not a GC contender. Not, not yet, maybe in 10 years. But yeah, trying to find out where my strengths are. But yeah, I'd love to be useful in, say, 10K out from a finish of a sprint. I think I could do a good job there. Or taking someone halfway up a mountain. Something along those lines, I think, is where I'm best used. You know, we've got so many good fast switch riders, good sprinters, people who can finish it off. So it's really nice to know that, you know, I obviously don't don't have to do that bit of it. I just have to get them there in the right position. So, yeah, I think that'll that'll be a a good job for me. That was Abby Smith, or should I call her Joe now? (laughs) Um, Not sure. I just I couldn't believe I don't think I've ever interviewed a rider who called themselves uh, an average a professional anything actually who called themselves a an average Joe. But Denny, you you've spoken to Abby uh, before. I know uh, one of the things that I was cramming before speaking to her was a British Continental article, uh, an interview uh, that you did with uh, with her. But I mean, she's a, a supreme talent, and I think DSM actually feels like a very good fit for her next year, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. Yeah, I mean, she um, she is one of those. Um, riders that was a kind of a victim of the pandemic so her final junior year uh, was kind of cut short because of uh, which was 2020 there's hardly any racing so she kind of went into the her first senior year kind of a little bit kind of un, well not unknown but at least not sure of her place in in the world of uh, road racing but she she had a great year that year got got a transfer mid-season to um, Tipco SVB and then uh, had a remarkable run of results getting kind of top 15s top 16s in world tour races including the, the women's tour um and uh, but then it's had a couple of difficult years as you you know you kind of spoke about in the interview um i remember being at the lincoln grand prix and she she kind of she had a nasty crash at the finish line of the circuit race uh banged her head on the cobbles and uh was out with concussion and that kind of put a dampener on a 22-22 season and then of course as you've discussed uh, had a difficult year this year so she hasn't really had a chance to prove herself yet mm. um, but as you say only still only 21 and feels like one of those riders that could uh, could go a long long way even if she is just an average Joe <laughs> yes I mean, average Joe done good um, uh, but I mean I didn't actually uh, manage to speak to her about the tour down under where she opened her season um, this year I mean she did phenomenally well 10th on general classification mm. there um, so she started really strongly uh, obviously was off her bike uh, for a, a long time um, this year but next year I, I'm excited to see uh, Team DSM because I think that uh, Abby Smith as she said in the interview kind of can, has got so many roles that she can play during the race that will kind of free up fight for Georgie a bit more to kind of take on her leadership mantle because I always feel that when we're watching fight for Georgie is supreme talent um, so good on all kinds of um, races and terrains but a lot of the time she has to also do the work during the race bringing back um, breakaways you know lining up her sprinter for the finish and it'd be great to see her have a bit more freedom I think Abby Smith actually offers that that freedom to her yeah I think I think you're right she she is a strong all-rounder slash average Joe uh, <laughs> but she's also got a really good head on her and although she's only 21 you get the sense that she could grow into that kind of team captain role in the future um, and I think with uh, Pfeiffer as you say I mean she has picked up some good wins this year mm, oh yeah but no. nonetheless you I get think she the sense that could she more. could do more yeah, yeah. and you, I always wonder how she would fare in say SD Works or something where you know she could just be one of the riders kind of having her turn to attack and benefit from the strengths behind her but mm. but she's a you know a consummate team player as well isn't she and I think that's why uh, she just seems to fit in really well there so yeah it'd be interesting to see how she settles in Josie Nelson uh, is one, one of their other transfers um, a fast finisher um, so you imagine will fit in well uh, somewhere in that kind of sprint uh, kind of melee that they have I mean they're very kind of sprint focused at times aren't they with Charlotte Cool, mm. uh, of course but um, yeah they're, they're, there's some interesting uh, kind of transfers and kind of contract uh, re-signings in that team so uh, uh, I'm also interested to see how Juliette Labousse kind of 
mm. uh, kind of evolves next year having done so consistently well in the grand tours without quite i guess reaching the, the very heights of, of grand tours so far but it doesn't quite feel like they're building a team around her no, does it no it, it feels very much more I would say it, it can't, it's a team that kind of suits Pfeiffer Georgie and her opportunities more than it than it's adding a lot of climbing uh, talent and also you know for these kind of GC I mean obviously women's cycling is slightly different from men's cycling in that we don't have these the GC winners aren't necessarily teams that are entirely GC focused. Obviously, we saw with SD Works um, this year, Demi Vollering taking the yellow jersey, uh, the Tour de France fam. But obviously, they still had plenty of, you know, Lorena Vibus. They still had, um, they were still working as a sprint team as much as they were working as a GC team. But I think to challenge a team as mighty as SD Works, then if you are going to make a GC challenge, then you do need to be all in for it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting to see how it goes. As you say, there are some riders that kind of seem to freelance and do well. But of course, um, and I think where where DSM are very strong, which is on the flat and kind of the punchy stages, she'll be well protected in Grand Tours. So it's, but as you say, they do feel a little bit light in the high mountains mm. uh, and we'll come on to later. There might be a few of those next year in the, in the Grand Tours. So... Yeah, but I mean, uh, nonetheless, she's, she seems to be developing well as a rider, nonetheless, uh, even within that environment. Um, but as you say, I think, I agree, the team seems very sprint and classics focused overall. Well, Abby Smith isn't the only transfer that caught our eye um, so far. Obviously, we haven't had full team lists um, by any means. Um, we're kind of getting the news in drips and drabs and have been since the summer, pretty much. But there are kind of some interesting changes to kind of team setup or team approaches um, and Denny I know that Little Trek kind of caught your eye yeah I mean I think they're probably the most noticeable um, so far of what we know about the squads for next year because they've signed three eight uh, sorry five 18 year olds uh, which is kind of unprecedented I think mm. for the Women's World Tour and for a big team such a big, team, a big team not a development yeah. team and of course they were quite a small squad this season they only had 15 riders and then take out Ellen van Dijk who was on maternity leave Taylor Wiles who retired in July um, and of course then they had injury issues with Longo Borghini with her skin infection Balsamo with her crash at Ride London Lizzie Diagner just returning from maternity leave and it, it really did feel at times that they were very stretched last mm. season so it's really interesting that they've signed six riders uh, so far and only one of those, Clara Caponi, is a kind of senior rider. Um, the other five, Felicity Haffenden Wilson, who won the Junior Worlds ITT Championships, Fleur Moores, um, she won the Junior European um, Road Race and was third in the Junior Worlds Road Race. Um, Isabel Sharp, who was second in the Junior Worlds ITT among Babelgem. And then uh, Ava and Isabella Holmgren from Canada, um, the latter was eighth in the Junior Worlds Road Race. Um, are all kind of bright, bright young talents, um, but they don't really fit the bill of being able to, I guess, step in uh, for the kind of bigger name riders in Lidl Trek if they are, again, stretched. So it would be really interesting to see how they play. I mean, we were looking at um, uh, an announcement just, uh, just early, weren't we, Rose, about mm. uh, the, the men's team obviously have a development team next year for the first time. And they, the, the, the statement from Trek was recognising the fact that they didn't have one for the women's team, but kind of almost implying that they're going to have this little development pockets, as you described it, within their squad. So it'd be interesting to see how, how they play it. I mean, and also looking after five young riders and making sure they get the race time and the development they need. I imagine what could be quite a challenge. It will be hard because obviously that's kind of what development teams do so well, isn't it? I mean, in the past we've seen Valcar and Park Hotel uh, Valkenberg. They've been so good at giving their young riders plenty of race time, plenty of experience as being the race lead. If you're an 18-year-old in Little Trek, you're not going to have gain any kind of experience in being at the pointy end of, of the race, are you? And also the, the, the stature of the races that you'll be doing will be so much higher mm. um, and you know it can take a few seasons for riders to even be able to kind of hang in there and do a job because you know the speed of it the intensity of it the physical exertion of it is 
uh, is so much, especially without having that stepping stone of having an under 23 circuit to, to, to move through, which we don't have on the uh, women's side. And also it's just, it's surprising for me because Little Trek, you would think they kind of need the wins. They need the yeah. big wins. I mean, I was just looking that this year they only had 14 uh, wins and the year before they had 32 wins. I mean, so they, they really have underperformed, mm. particularly considering they've got kind of former world uh, champions. They've got Lisa Longo-Borghini, who is kind of um, one of the top GC riders, one of the, men, the riders that we always mention when we're talking about these big uh, marquee races uh, to perform so it, it's yeah it's kind of surprising but I mean I mean we don't know I mean it might be that we hardly see these uh, young riders and it's more kind of the things that the skills they're learning is how to look after themselves and uh, how you know what to do in the gym the rest of the time and getting a little bit of race craft mm. from obviously these very experienced riders who can pass on a lot but I would have thought that little trick of all the teams we kind of always looked to them as being the great rivals of SD Works, but they're really not that this year. And you'd think they would have to bring on some big, big names uh, to compete. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, they are obviously very well resourced and they, they have a reputation for being kind of uh, looking after their riders and putting a big emphasis on athlete welfare. I remember, I think you, you spoke to Ina Teutenberg about... Gaia Raelini and asking her why she wasn't in the Tour de France fam and she was kind of looked at you as if to say suggest you're crazy but she does but, that every time Denny <laughs> I don't well, take she it just thinks you're crazy generally but uh, you know she clearly the implication there was that she felt that uh, a young rider like Raelini needed a rest and needed time to prepare and so if you're going to build in those periods of rest for young riders that just puts an even greater emphasis on the riders that are left and you know, it's uh, it's going to be really, really interesting to watch how they manage that. Presumably, they've they've thought about this. Otherwise, they wouldn't sign those five riders. Um, but it'd be fascinating, fascinating to see how it plays out. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I'm still not seeing those other teams that are going to rival uh, SD Works, and uh, we do actually have like a new team. One of the teams that I think. I'm pretty much every day in my email inbox I get an email from EF Education Cannondale telling me what other rider they've added and they have added uh, a lot of big names um, they're obviously despite their name being very similar to EF Tipico SVB um, who were riding this year it is a completely different uh, team completely different setup different life separate license um, and they uh, have said that they've signed Kristen Faulkner Veronica Ewers um, Corinne Lebecki, Lotta Hentala, um, and Borghese, Kadzau, and Nina Kessler. Uh, but they've got uh, their team, obviously very strong, very known names that we all know. Um, they've got an average age of nearly 28, which is almost like the opposite of the Little Trek kind of uh, approach, isn't it? I mean, that's quite old for... I was, it's older than I expecting for a brand new team. Yeah, well, I'm glad you got your calculator out. I know, my calculator, I was going to say, my calculator is not as big as your calculator, <laughs> Denny, so uh, I, I can only hope that the maths is right. Uh, but, yeah, but, yes, an old yeah, team. Yeah, it is an experienced team, isn't it? Um, I mean, obviously, the team will start at UCI Continental level, uh, there's going to be a pro team here next year, so it'll be interesting to see whether they, uh, sorry, in 2025, uh, we don't know much more than that in terms of the criteria that's going to be set, so maybe they'll have the rise on that. But I, you know, you wonder whether actually this is a team that wants to operate like a world tour team from day one um, with, a, with the view to kind of accruing enough points so when the time comes around for the next uh, world tour um, uh, entries they, they, they're well placed to, 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 to get, put themselves uh, into the world tour positions um, but yeah I mean yeah not a lot of winners in there mm. I mean well, they're all very experienced mm. riders but they're not um, maybe that's unfair on them but they're not a prolific that none of those riders have kind of got a prolific number of wins under the belts in the last couple of years. No, I mean, that's the case, isn't it? I mean, I should say they're an old team, but actually, like Kristen Faulkner and Veronica Ewers, who are 29, 30, they are, you know, they're obviously not uh, young cyclists, but they are young in that they're only in the first few years of their pro yeah, career. So there, there, is, there is room to build. I mean, obviously, 
the two uh, the two maiden name people Corinne Lebecki was Corinne Le- Rivera uh, before she was married obviously Tour of Tour of Flanders winner very prolific winner but as you say not for many years um, and Lotta Hentala who was Lotta Lepisto they were doing better under their maiden names <laughs> is that the lesson that we should learn <laughs> don't change your name don't keep your name yeah <laughs> keep your name and then you'll you know you'll win more but um, but they obviously they obviously have a huge amount of experience in winning in being those riders who kind of rise to the occasion but yes, no, not not many wins recently at all. No, I mean it's them. always hard building a team from scratch. I say that as if I've done it before, but you know, <laughs> yes, <laughs> but you know they, they are building a team from scratch essentially. Um, so it's you know they're building up, building from the bottom up. So they've, I'm sure they've thought about the blend of riders they're they're trying to get, and they've got a very experienced new manager in Ezra Trump, mm. who of course was at Yumbo and was previously involved with uh, Park Hotel Falkenberg, which was and still is so successful in kind of feeding riders to the SD Works machine. Um, so yeah, it'll be, you know, and, and from what I understand, they'll be closely linked to the men's team. They'll kind of share a lot of the resources and support behind the scenes. So uh, I'm sure they'll be a very well-resourced, well, well-managed, or they appear to be a well-resourced and well-managed team. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they gel. I mean, that'll be the other thing, won't it? Kind of how bringing all these riders mm. together for the first time uh, is a little bit of an experiment to some yeah, extent. They're, they're kind of culturally similar as well, I would say, to the men's team. You know, it's kind of that they don't have that one big rider that they're riding for. They're all kind of opportunist type, that kind of buccaneer attitude. So, yeah. you know, when the, when the opportunity comes, you know, Alison Jackson, I forgot to mention, um, she'll be with them, uh, the winner of Paris-Roubaix. But it's kind of the, that kind of attitude is obviously they've taken that into the women's team as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's great that we've got, well, I say it's great. It's very sad, of course, because we're losing. EF Education, um, SVB, TIPCO, of course, um, out of the World Tour. But, uh, you know, it's an exciting new project. It's always kind of interesting to see how these new teams emerge. So uh, another interesting story to follow next season. The cycling podcast Femina is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport, fuelled by science. Now, they always say we don't like speculation on the cycling podcast, despite doing it absolutely all the time. And uh, we teased it right at the top of the show that we would be speculating on the Tour de France fam route because there are, some details have already come out in the press, haven't they, Denny? Yeah, well, we know, we know when it is, the 12th to the 18th of August, so a little bit later in the calendar because of the Olympics in Paris. Uh, and we know that the first three stages will be in the, in the Netherlands, uh, including a, a double stage day on the Tuesday, the second mm. uh, day, uh, and it, which will include a time trial. So uh, that will be unusual. Uh, I remember Lizzie during the Tour Fam saying that that was not allowed under yeah. UCI yeah, rules. So, did, yeah. But presumably they have got it through uh, somehow. And then there was, uh, there was a story in the Dauphiné Libre uh, newspaper saying that the last two stages will be summit finishes. Uh, the second to last on up the Le, Le Grand Bournon and the final stage finishing up uh, L'Alpe d'Huez uh, which would be uh, a great spectacle I'm sure um, assuming that happens I'm sure they haven't got it wrong and then we do also know that uh, well Lest uh, Republican are saying that there will be a couple of stages uh, one in the in the Doubs region and one in the, the Vosges region so uh, kind of moving from the Netherlands and snaking its way down to the Alps, uh, kind of a north-south direction. Yeah, I mean, it's so, I mean, the Alpe d'Huez on its own is, if it does happen, as you said, Denny, it is kind of speculative because the actual official route announcement, obviously they know what, the, they, ASO know what's going to happen, but the route announcement and the big party and the big gala happens next week, so all of that gets confirmed then, starts and finishes and where the route will go. But yes, Alpe d'Huez, that is going to be... How exciting! And but they had to, didn't they? Because you know, to have had the Isoard um, before, to have had the Tourmalet uh, this year, um, you know, in all of the times it's, it's been La Course and then being the Tour de France fam over the and Planche de Belfi, of course, in the inaugural year, they they've always had these famous climbs. So Alpe d'Huez just ha- you know had to be the next one to, to to be in this race next year, didn't it? Yeah, and a great way to finish the race as well. I mean, uh, that will. Real- as as, as 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 happened this year you know that we had that sense of the GC being decided on the final couple of stages this year it's because of the Tourmalet and then the time trial and 
and uh, next year it's looking like two summit finishes will be the deciding factors in the race already um, and the tourmalet this year I have to say like I didn't I don't think I really appreciated it at the time but it you know in hindsight it was very it cold <laughs> well somebody <laughs> forgot to bring a coat with them yes. I know I know the amount of attention I got from people I hadn't spoken to in years about the fact that I was not didn't have any sleeves at the top of the tourmalet it but was, apart it was, from it yes. being very cold um it was also an absolute uh, stage for the ages, I think. It, it was really one of those was, ones yeah. that was uh, full of uh, spectacle from Nivea Doma's kind of uh, attack down, down, the, uh, down the descent to Van Vluten and Vollering kind of, kind of staring at each other, refusing to work with each other. Uh, the kind of riders getting lost in the mist up mm. the Tourmalet. It was um, a fascinating stage. So the Alpe d'Huez will have a lot to live up mm. to if it can uh, kind of beat... Uh, what happened on the tourmalade but it's uh, a really exciting prospect and i think uh, i'm sure a lot of the riders will be kind of really looking forward to uh, an iconic finish up up that climb and just having all the fans there as well i mean that's that was the thing that was a little bit the downside of tourmalade is that it was so misty and so hard to see and so cold that we didn't kind of get that full fans yelling and waving and fancy dress and flags and Claxons and you know the whole work so hopefully outdoors will give us uh, that but obviously this year it was having the tourmalade it was so impressive to see such strength and depth in the women's field I think every time there's one of these mammoth climbs you think oh well just be like everyone doing a separate time trial up a mountain and won't be that much of a spectacle but we saw that spectacle didn't we we saw all that kind of team tactics and team play and we had Cashinevia Doma going all out so it does give me you know I'm heartened by having seen that and knowing that we're going to have a, uh, a huge, yeah, what a huge moment on Alpdoes next year, hopefully. And also for me, having uh, Le Grand Bournon is also such a great finish. Um, and for me personally, I have such great memories uh, of uh, doing the course with Richard and Orla mm. and standing on that finish line. Uh, and that was one of the most amazing, most spectacular finishes I've ever seen, wow. where we had. Anna van der Breggen looked like she was going to take it. She was kind of rising up this hill, just cresting over this hill alone, it seemed. And, you know, all framed by the finish line, by the mountains. Um, and then out of nowhere, Annemiek van Vluten comes charging through like a steam train. And she gets up to her. And I think Anna van der Breggen can't believe it. Like, you know, it's so rare to <laughs> yeah. see Anna van der Breggen in a state of just like, what is going on? And Annemiek van Vluten comes charging through, wins, drops to the ground, in absolute screaming, exhilaration, elation. It was, yeah, fantastic, fantastic. So, you know, I have such fantastic, precious memories from being on that Grand Bonon uh, finish. So I, I'm looking forward to being there again, hopefully being there uh, again next year. But I mean, obviously, a Dutch start, Denny, which we, we've known for a long time there was going to be this Dutch start. And I remember at the finish of the Tour de France Fram this year, people already, before Demi Vollering had even zipped up her yellow jersey, people were asking her about next year and about the starting in Rotterdam, where I believe she, her, some of her, she had some of her early years near uh, Rotterdam. Um, so we've known about that, and that's going to be a fantastic moment, you would think, for... Dutch riders um, to be in the Netherlands and really kind of get that attention they deserve. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the Dutch are so strong in women's cycling, and they had the most riders uh, of any nationality in the in the Tour Fam this year. And obviously, uh, you know, the, the top riders in the world uh, are generally from the, from from the Netherlands. So uh, it will be a great spectacle. I'm sure there'll be a lot of fans on the roadside. It's obviously a cycling-loving nation. So. Um, I think it, it, it should serve up some great racing. I'm interested to see how this double stage, mm. uh, or double day, double stage day goes. Uh, don't get many of those anymore, or if at all. Yeah, I think yeah. Uh, Maybe the odd like prologue, you know. Yeah, there a was a men's race three prologue. days of the panel yeah. used to have a double, uh, double, double stage, but yeah, very rare these days. So that will be interesting, um, particularly if one of them is a time trial and seeing how riders kind of back up there. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously we'll know the full route. Uh, I think it's next week, isn't it? The mm. will come out. So uh, we'll know more about the actual uh, parkour for each of the stages and, and get a bit more of a sense of kind of who 
each stage will suit. And we do have a sense also that it's not going to be one of those big transfers from the Netherlands to France, but actually a slow kind of meandering through uh, through the Netherlands, through Belgium, into kind of possibly... Hopefully a bit not of a- too slow. No, let's <laughs> can you imagine? It wouldn't be the most captivating racing if they did it too slow, but we're kind of maybe expecting a bit of an Ardennes mega mix, mm. uh, perhaps, mm. kind of uh, a bit of a going through that region, maybe adding a little bit of kind of um, Amstel Gold to a little bit of Liège, Baston Liège, um, which would be really thrilling and makes us think Cachinivia Doma. That would be, it would be a good uh, chance for... Her, no, especially if they chuck, chuck in a bit of gravel. Yes, you know, I know. Which we, yeah, that's true. We don't know. Her, Maybe, it? or just someone throwing a bit of few stones on the road. <laughs> no, don't do that. That's no, that's no, terrible. That's, no. Inciting yes. anything like that would be calamitous. Um, obviously, Tour de France Fam isn't the only thing going on uh, next year. And you touched on Denny. The fact that it's slightly moved in the calendar does mean that there's a bit more of a gap but kind of a month's gap basically between the end of the Giro and the start of the Tour uh, this year it was you know it was far too close together really to make uh, a, I mean obviously everyone tried to do a uh, Annemiek van Vluten definitely tried to do a kind of uh, valiant effort on sweeping up every Grand Tour but it's very hard when they're very close together a bit more spacing next year but then obviously in between is also the Olympics which is is always uh, a huge, uh, huge attention. Gra- well, even for the riders, not just for the general public, but for the riders, it's it's a huge event on their calendar. Yeah, loads of riders will be will be making it their target, not just on the road, but also the track. Um, so that's the TTs, the twenty seventh of July, and then the uh, the road races at the beginning of August, the fourth of August. Um, so, and then you've got the Giro, which is the seventh to the fourteenth of July. Uh, we were we thought we were going to be finding out the route to the yes. uh, Giro a few days ago, um, only to find out that the only thing they announced was a change of name, uh, the Giro d'Italia Women, as it's now going to be called, um, and the actual route announcement is being pushed back to a later date, apparently because of some late route changes um, hopefully not as late as the Giro Rosa well, has always been is which is thing, a week before yeah <laughs> I, mean, I, think, I think we were hoping that the, the change of organiser RCS now taking over the organisation of the race would mean a little bit more organisation more publicity more promotion more professionalism for the race uh, it would but, be hard not to be more unprofessional well, it, to be it honest would, but it's been an inauspicious start hasn't it and yeah. uh, they do organise the Strada Bianchi which hasn't always gone to, to plan for the women's uh, race mm. so I guess we'll have to wait and see how that pans out we do know that it will be 8 stages rather than 10 which it has been traditionally um, but beyond that we know we know very little well we're going to keep it, leave it there leave it vague and ominous um, <laughs> The next year. Uh, now, I did promise last episode that we would have an Annemiek van Vluten special coming up, and I'm still going to prom- still promising that. Uh, but that will uh, hopefully be next month's podcast. We'll be kind of doing a deep dive into her career, um, and uh, be great to hear from her uh, as well. And uh, yeah, until then, I mean, D- Denny, we've got, I mean, there's no more racing, is there, between uh, now and next year? What are you going to do with yourself? I just well, find you in many pubs of Wandsworth still. Yeah, there's quite a few to get around still, isn't there? Uh, <laughs> I, I am partial to a bit of cyclocross, so I will be keeping an eye on the on the muddy fields of Belgium uh, and, and other countries, but mainly Belgium, over the next few months, um, and uh, keeping an eye on the kind of news about routes, and hopefully we'll find out about the Giro and others, and of course loads of transfer news to keep our eye on, so uh, all of that. And I'll be very busy with the British Continental, because... Uh, we've got six UCI Continental teams, uh, apparently, in, in the UK next year. Uh, so uh, I'm busy kind of rounding up all the info I can on what's happening and you need in the to domestic be in, scene. you need to be in training, Denny, because uh, there's always a Christmas quiz. I, I always do a Christmas quiz here on the podcast, and this year will be no different. So you need to train up. Orla is, inc- like, you will not believe how competitive Orla is about the Christmas <laughs> quiz. She will be breaking thumbs. Right. So you want until now and Christmas okay. to really gem up. Yeah, well, I, uh, do you take bribes? Yes, I probably do. <laughs> okay, that's the way I'll go then, I think. 
<laughs> now if you win then that's just the whole yeah. thing is thrown yeah, oh, yeah. into there's a, a flaw in my plan uh, no well okay I, I better get cracking then yeah okay I'll, I'll make sure I listened to your previous quizzes for cl clues and hints as of where types of questions and uh, yeah kind of your, your tricks as Denny a, as not a even I know how the Christmas quiz is going to go even right. when I'm recording it that's the magic of Christmas that is the magic for Christmas is it just making it, it up on the fly yeah <laughs> right well I better go and start writing some questions already uh, and you better start gemming up but thank you very much for joining me Denny no thanks for having me again Rose the cycling podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore Daniel Freeb and Lionel Burney.